everybody. Jeff here from Startup Sec with another Second Amount of Startups podcast founder AMA episode. Our March Startup Sec happy hour featured WebConnect's co-founders, Eric Knopf and John Russell, who have achieved impressive success, all while being 100% bootstrapped. They field a range of startup questions and impressed the audience with their perspectives, humbleness, and value on employees, sharing some fantastic insights and advice. Check it out. It's good to see everyone here. I'm John. Um, yeah, John and I have been long-term buddies. Uh, we both had, he actually was like my inspiration for entrepreneurship. I went to college and had the hardest time ever uh, with accounting. And my accounting professor required everyone to make everything on paper and pen. And I, I can't do long division. So uh, I just like really struggled. And so I ended up dropping the class. And the accountant's like, you'll never be successful in business because I dropped accounting. So I switched to calm. And so I was catching up with this guy at a dirt bike track. He's like, entrepreneurs don't do accounting. They hire accountants. So uh, anyways, he's got a few years on me and was this aspiring entrepreneur. And so uh, we both were working on different things. We're both kind of serial entrepreneurs. And then in 2008, nine-ish time, uh, we were catching up and decided to uh, start our current company, WebConnects. And we've been at it for 11 years. We make software for event registration, event ticketing. We're kind of like a white label uh, Ticketmaster Eventbrite, even though you guys didn't use us tonight, that's okay. <laughs> We're happy to tell you all the, the advantages against that. Uh, but we've taken a really non-traditional course. Uh, we were into privacy and data sovereignty before. It was a cool thing before anybody was freaking out six months ago about Facebook. Um, and what we offer is the uh, ability to host your own events and have your own ticketing experience as if you built it yourself without building it yourself. Our fees are a fraction of the competitors, and we get to power the events for um, some of the biggest brands in the world. We do events for Google and uh, for Red Bull and Southwest Airlines and Delta. We do everything for CrossFit, Young Life, uh, a variety of organizations. And no one's the wiser. We do every single day about $2 million in payment processing, and uh, we have about 40,000 organizations who use us. Uh, we've gone a non-traditional route. We're bootstrapped. And, uh, we have no venture capital, uh, which has been very fortunate. We can talk about our company culture and what that's afforded us to do, but we're having a blast and um, get to work with my best friend. Um, we've got 42 people um, on the team, 42 of the most brilliant, kind, compassionate people I can imagine. And um, I'm on the product side, John's where we're on the sales biz dev side. And um, yeah, what else have we got? No, I think that's it. We're, um, we, both of us, love startups and love the startup culture and love entrepreneurs. So we're grateful to be here and um, happy to help in any any way we can. It's it's a part of, I mean, it's a deep part of who we are. So, yeah, honored to be here. Yeah. Okay, so stay away from the first question. I've got a softball these, oh man, these are uh, Under Armour, like 30 bucks. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> and yes, I am cheap, so yes. Yep. When you guys first started out, what was your most effective means of marketing? It's always been word of mouth. We, um, so we're now entering our 11th year, and we hired our first salesperson uh, nine months ago, 10 months ago. So maybe it's... Maybe it's been a year, but um, for t a decade, it's been, if you make someone happy and you make that, if you make their success your success, then they're going to have people who look to them and they're going to tell people about you. So it's been wildly majority word of mouth. We do some paid search um, in terms of 
If you're looking for an Eventbrite alternative, you will be sure to find the landing page that converts very well for us. <laughs> um, and John can maybe speak to more. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, it, for us, it was initially word of mouth, and it was talking with our customers, asking who else they might be able to refer us to, but primarily word of mouth. And then, yeah, as we could afford it, more and more uh, paid search with, with uh, Google and Facebook. You did, yeah. Yeah, how did you guys come up with your idea of doing something like this? So, <clears throat> um, over cigars and whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> So we, I before I did had an events business, and so understood the pain in the ticketing side. That it was so frustrating to, to you do all the work, you do all the promotion, you lay, you take all the risk, and then a, a ticketing company comes in and takes a bunch of your revenue, and so it just didn't feel fair. At the same time, Eric was doing web development, and he was being tasked by some nonprofits to build online giving pages, and so we start talking about. You know, really, at the end of the day, it's not that much different. If you're if you're accepting an event or if you're registering or selling tickets, you're just getting information, attaching it to a payment, and so that was really the next thing. Was just starting out with that platform. We felt like the one software platform could accomplish multiple goals. And our first iterations were terrible. Terrible. I mean, they were like. It's funny because when we thought about like what is the the, the competition. Um, and when I was building the first donation tool, uh, we kind of like went out there and looked at what's out, what else is out there in the market for accepting donations. And we looked at all of them, and all of them required a password to donate. And it didn't seem that like novels, like no one wants another password in their life. So why don't we make password-free donation widgets? And that ended up being the thing that really like drove this donation uh, product is that it was getting donations faster because if someone's about to give you money, why do you want to have them go through a two-step factor and like who who cares who does a card get processed? Like let's let's solve that first. So you know, literally our first you know main feature was just password-free donation pages. And then as John kind of said, the way that you donate is not that dissimilar from how you register for an event. So um, and then we just did all customized. Like we're all familiar with the event pages that are plastered with whatever ticketing providers, logo and branding, their colors and their fonts. And so we're like, hey, what if it was like everything about you and not about us? And we're just like, it's about you. It's not about us. And that really connected our customers. And so when they can make something they're proud of, um, that worked. And so, but we're, we're on our fourth uh, full version. And we can talk about the, the, uh, you know, the dark times and the good times of, of product development. But uh, we're on our fourth version, which is now, I think, it, I'll put up against any solution in, in the industry. But uh, that's how we started. Um, and just something simple. So 11 years and 42 people that have been around for quite some time. Could you take us through the early stages when you had an idea, basically, and take us through to the point where you have to actually achieve the critical mass in terms of business? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I think our when we started, it wasn't exactly what it was today. And, and that's why I, my biggest advice would be just put something in the market. But the market will tell you where you're right, where it needs tweaking. We can guess and think about things in a boardroom, but until you actually get it in the market, you don't really know if it's exactly right. So our, our initial vision—it was just Eric and I um, initially—but once we launched, you kind of the market tells you where the tweaks are. We spent a lot of time in the first few years just figuring it out, figuring out what we really wanted. Fortunately, we had some friends that were willing to give us a shot because it was so stinking cheap. And it, it allowed us to then build to where we felt like, okay, we're really probably three versions in, 
and we had at that time probably two employees and felt like okay this is it and then we started getting some bigger customers and Google called us and, and we had some of these amazing customers that called us and had we we're like how'd you get our number but it let us know we were really on the right path at that point but it probably took us and we were slower start because we didn't have we just bootstrapped it we didn't bring any venture capital which for us was fantastic but it was you know it took us a little while to figure out exactly what that mix is and there was probably three versions and we felt like this is it and let's let's step on the pedal and to add on to that too like you you think like this offering people are going to love this offering and we first started as a all-in-one solution for churches so events and giving and nonprofits, and we're like we're going to focus on the small nonprofits, and so you know it's just like you think this is a no-brainer for them, and then uh, it was hard. And with that, well, a question: What are these other markets that people you know need to look at? And so we looked at motocross and equestrian. What are these like kind of like niche markets? And you you know talk to these people, and they're just like, well, we do it on paper, and why would we ever want to change? And so we went through all these like evolutions of like we think this market's going to go for and this and. Uh, it just was hard um, until you really find who really wants it. One of the more clever things we did is that our, we have one technology, and we were for the first um, almost four years just called WebConnects. And it was like, you can do anything with WebConnects. You can make it a donation page. You can make it a 5K race page. You can make it a concert page. You can make it a conference page. Um, you could do all these things. They're just called WebConnects. And what we realized is that the person who's like wants to do a 5K they're kind of confused by barcoded tickets. And the person who wants like a concert is like bib assignments and wave times. And so uh, I wish I could tell you there's some magical brilliance here. But all we did basically is that we took the same technology and we gave it four different colors. We have four different brands and we turned on and off different features. And so we arrange it this way. And this is called Red Podium. It does uh, 5K marathon races and endurance races. And... Um, and so that's that one. Then we did the same for a Reg Fox, which is conferences and workshops, and that allowed us to to clarify our message to each market, even though it's the same technology under underlying. And so, in probably 2012, that's when we really saw um, our first inflection point. And then uh, again, probably 2016, 17, and right now we're just we double in size every year right now, which is kind of wild. Is it uh, subscription-based, or people, like, when I have an event, I call you up or hit your website? So we do, our model is really different. So if you, and not to pick on Eventbrite, but there's pick on more, it. let's pick on it. <laughs> so if you're a promoter and you're using Eventbrite, and let's say you have, and sorry if, if you know this, but let's say Eventbrite is charging $100, or you, I'm sorry, your event, you're a concert event, and your ticket is $100. You're going to put those on sale on Eventbrite. Eventbrite's going to tack onto that. They'll tack on their fee, which in that case is going to be about $8. So you'll have $100 ticket price, $8.50 fee. So the $8.50 goes to Eventbrite, and you as a promoter get your $100, right? So, And that's kind of the model with most of our competitors. We looked at it differently. So we said, we're going to charge you, the promoter, $0.99. Cents, and then the credit card fees are going to be 3%, which is standard. So on the same ticket now, it's $100. If you want to charge a convenience fee, you set it at whatever you want it to be. So if you wanted to set it at $8.50, you can. But your cost on that is $4, 99 cents to us, $3 to the credit card processor, right? So the price difference that you're going to make is an extra $4.50 per ticket. So if you're doing a 10,000-person event, you, you, just, you just made $45,000. And it's really that simple. And we have customers who are literally making millions of dollars. I let people cry on the phone 
because they can't believe that we're able to do it for this progressive volume. And like Eric said, we'll probably process almost a billion dollars this year through our software. So for us, people can come in, they create their own account, they create their own page, they can manage it all. And we just feel like we want to charge a fee that's reasonable, that we can thrive on, that they can win on, and it's been fantastic. So do most people not tack on additional, they just kind of go with the it depends. or it varies? Yeah, the, the, industry, the industry depends. We've got one organization that probably makes a million dollars, just a million dollars on that convenience fee because the market's kind of, like people who buy tickets kind of expect these convenience fees. Now, the ticket masters we all loathe, right? It's like I'm buying two tickets for 30 bucks each and I've got $100 in printed home fees. And, you know, like they've taken to extreme, but to see a five, $6 fee, yeah, you're kind of like you're used to it. And so with us, that all goes to the organizer and they're just like delighted because it's, it's, they're getting more than, than they would have otherwise. Yeah, if you're doing, if you're doing, if you're an organizer and you're doing events all around the country, and you're doing 200,000 tickets a year, and you're able to make an extra couple of dollars per ticket and still keep the fee lower, I mean, it's just straight to the bottom line money. And the other thing we do is that with our competitors, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll, they'll take all the money in, and then they'll hold it, and they'll give you the money after your event. So what we do is we just pass it directly to them, and then they have it as they need it. So it's been, it's been cool. It's been cool to just be able to see there's some weight lifting from people who are in the event space, and you know, some freedom to do things the way they want to do it. Question: In your first 18 months, what was the number of staff members, and what's the DNA of that staff? Meaning skill sets. <laughs> well, we it, it took us uh, probably three years before we started. Maybe even being able to pay ourselves to a sustainable level. Yeah, I, I was still doing web development on the side for customers because we started in 2008. So the reason I was had time to work on this donation, which is all of our other clients like either evaporated or just didn't want to spend any money. So I had you know a couple of people on staff like, hey, we need to fill our time. What are we going to do? So we um, we kind of kept the bills going by doing some more client services and projects for probably about three years. Yeah, our first hire, too, was somebody who, he had a wedding, he, he did wedding photography. So it was beautiful because we were able to bring him into the office, he could do his work from the office, and just answer the phone when it rang. And so those kind of things, we tried to think creatively about what's not going to crush us, and are there people that we could be able to add value to what they're already doing? And so from there, we are able to, you know, once we had the revenue, but yeah, it was probably a few years before we were able to pay ourselves anything. Everything we had, we put back into growing the business and trying to bring in new people. But we felt like, too, and when you're bootstrapped, every dollar you spend <laughs> matters. So you think about that. You think about the person you're going to hire because it hurts. And so for us, it was great because you, you really, anything you spend money on, you really, you need to spend that money on. Yep. So did you do your, your technical, did you have a technical team in-house in every time all these iterations, or are you Yes. So when I was doing the web development, I had a, a single kind of genius there, and he's like so smart. And you're like, all right, you just like you have to like trick him. Can you just do this and then like do this and then later connect those two things? You know. So uh, we have a, had a really sharp primary programmer, and I kind of lead more the product vision, like what does the product do, why should it do it. Um, I stress out about button shapes and colors when we name things and things like that. So I'm, I'm kind of like maybe like the product uh, tweaker, um, but we had one full-time developer, and we had, then we hired his brother who knew nothing, 
and learned everything with us. I think we paid a minimum wage, legitimately, because he came like as a city college dropout. It was like, can you learn PHP? Why not? So, um, and so we start with those two, and we we did that for probably about two or three years. And it's amazing how much you can get done with like one or two people, because now we've got 22 developers, and and we got bigger scale issues and things, but it, it feels like it's harder to ship things now with even that more, many more people. So um, when you have fewer people that like have influence over the technology, I think it's way easier, but yeah, we had one basically full time from the start. Yeah. Someone was just recently moved here from the Bay Area. Yeah. I'm curious if there's been any like, geographical obstacles being based out of Sacramento. I feel like you've been at a disadvantage because of that, especially having started years ago. On the technology side, yeah, because you have this like vortex that just like sucks everything over there. And um, developers are our modern day rock stars. I had one candidate who asked me, "What's the signing bonus?" I'm like, "Are you playing for the Jets now?" <laughs> what signing bonus are you talking about? Um, so yeah, I, I think Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, like they're really spoiling the, the tech talent pool because they are. I mean, it's, it's, they're playing so much defense. Like, Google will go to any length to make sure that if you're smart, that you don't go to Facebook. And Apple will do the same thing. And they're all playing defense. They just want to occupy people. And they give you, hey, like, work on any dream you want. And then just don't go over there. And so um, that makes it really hard um, to be around the Bay Area. But what's good in that realm is that, you know, we, we have, we've never hired anybody that's directly from there. But people who are intermixed with these big tech companies, you get to tell them, like, hey, do you want to move a button four pixels to the right and have that be your greatest contribution? Or do you want to ship a feature next month that's going to reach five million people? And so the degree in which we can provide them uh, a fingerprint influence, we have no managers either, so every single person really gets to shape the product in a great degree. And that is something that when we look at the bigger companies, they can't compete with. Um, So on a tech talent side, it's not ideal right now, but... There, I think right now there's so many people that are tired of the Bay Area and the cost of living that Sacramento's on this big swing up right now. So we haven't benefited from the tech side yet, but I think that as people are, are tired of the expense um, and probably the, the lifestyle there, that it's, Sacramento's really well positioned. It's coming. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so the bootstrapping helps you. Was it a necessity because of the 2008 crash? Or did you guys have money <laughs> thrown at you guys and you chose, you know, let's not do it that way? And then the second part of the question is, is uh, you guys want to do an exit in time soon or are you guys just going to keep riding this? Yeah. So I'll take the bootstrap one. So we, um, I, I did, wasn't in a tech business before. I had an events business. And the, 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 the notion of you go raise a bunch of money and then build your business from there just didn't exist. And so everything that I'd done was always just a bootstrap. And so I think it was kind of our mentality. There wouldn't have been money even if we had wanted it. So it wasn't a conversation. But I think it was just something we felt like we could swing it. And 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 so the it was mentality, it was I'd sold a business, so I didn't have I didn't have to have money right then to live on. And so it was just the right time we were able to to do it. And I know it doesn't work for everybody, but I can tell you that the decisions we've been able to make the just enjoyment of not having to answer to a board. Um, we decided, I guess, four or five years ago, We so we have some people who work remote. I actually live in Orange County. And so we talked about, Eric had this crazy idea. He's like, what if we just took our whole company to Costa Rica for a month? And we just worked from Costa Rica. And so um, we did. And we took our whole staff, everybody's families, and we just worked from Costa Rica for a month. We did it. 
three years in a row. We um, are going to Belize this summer with our whole team and families. And we could never have done that if we had had, if, if, if we'd had investors. They would have told us we're crazy. But it was the best thing we've ever done. That it's allowed our team to be 100% bought in. It's our, our company is like a family. And part of that is just we've had these unique bonds and these unique things. And that Eric and I are able to make decisions quickly. We're able to sense a market. We're able to take risks. We're able to be generous. So those kind of things as a as bootstrapping. And the company is, is a lot more valuable, you know, now obviously. And we and we own 100% of it. So the sometimes I think that can be a hard thing. And it's a slower path. If we'd had an infusion of capital in the beginning, could we have grown faster? Yeah. But we, we've just enjoyed the journey and enjoyed being able to make all those decisions. So for us, we wouldn't change a thing about raising. And we were probably three years in and feeling like, we're kind of losers. Everybody else is raising all this money. We don't have any money. You know, we're in Sacramento. We're hearing about all these Silicon Valley. And they just raised $10 million And... I think we talked with a friend, and he was like, you guys are crazy. Like, you don't understand. These guys would rather be in your shoes. And so we were, it changed our whole mentality after that conversation. But I would, and we're, everybody, somebody who raised a lot of money might tell you something different. But I'm such a big fan of being able to control your destiny, if at all possible. In some, some instances, some companies, you can't do that. But it's been a huge, huge, huge blessing for us. We've done a lot of lunch and learn things where we invite uh, customers, uh, and, and it's a free event. Is that something? Is that too small for you guys? You're being what was too small at the lunch and learns? Yeah, uh, we, we invite uh, 100 people, 50 people. Oh, um, oh, to use our software as a customer? Yeah, yeah. it depends. Um, you know, like uh, probably a family reunion, like a free event. Like you know, you might not need the customization we offer. And we're, we're fine. Like, we'll, we'll gladly tell you different solutions um, where Eventbrite or others might be better. Um, so it, it just depends, you know. Um, it's really hard to tell where right now the Air Force is one of our uh, customers, and they take students and they build little satellites and they launch them into orbit, you know. And their process of mentors and teams and the rest, like, it's, it gets a little bit challenging. So people who've got something that's a little bit more custom, like, we're the perfect fit for um, but a lunch learn like a RSVP, you know, t- take your pick. I-, I wouldn't say that we're perfect. I wouldn't say we're, we're not perfect either. So it just depends. Yep. Yeah. Uh, as you and the team have navigated from that first initial product to, you know, up to your current uh, software, what has been the most effective form of feedback in terms of quantitative, qualitative, individual conversations, You know, um, being on the product side, you have to use your own product. So we still take a lot of our own sales calls, and when people reply to demo emails and ask for help, like we both are usually the ones left on the call. And so when you help someone set up, you're like, oh, why does this thing not do that thing? You know, Um, so many people like will just you know, send out a product and they never actually use it, but we're both involved in a lot of events, a lot of charities and, and charitable fundraising. And so for us, we're always using our own product and just being like, this is like, you need to say like, this sucks. <laughs> this shouldn't be this way. And we have the control to change it. And I think for us, I, I look at it as product being king 
you know, I, we can't compete with somebody who's raised $700 million and is just going to bully the market. Um, we've got a lot of billion-dollar companies in each of our verticals that we compete with. And we just like, all right, let's make a product that works well, that people really love. Um, but you don't know that people love it unless you try it yourself and you're actually in it. Um, because so much of the variations of like, hey, could it do this, actually come from you using it yourself. And I think that sometimes that's lost where, where people build tools and give the market something that they actually don't, they're, they're not their own customer, I guess. So for my opinion, John might have a different one. Um, for me, it's just like, I, I have to be able to use my own product. Um, and when I use it, I see things that could be better and we, we make them better. And just over and over and over again. Yeah, I feel like you get you get a lot of insight from the market, and so that's why I, when the sales line rings, I answer it because I want to understand what people are looking for. And so I think it's a combination of existing customers and the feedback they get, and then what the market's asking for. So, for example, we had a customer that was asking. We, I'd heard this a few times for a certain feature, and so then you hear it enough, and you realize. Okay, this is something the market really needs. And so there was a customer who wanted that. So I said, if we build this, will you sign up? So they said yes. And it turned into a massive thing for us. <laughs> so sometimes it's just, and you got to be careful too, because you don't want to run down rabbit holes. Especially on the support side, you have to be careful too, because you can improve something <clears throat> always. So, but focusing on what you're hearing repetitively on the pain point and on the market side, that if they'll pay you for that change and you have multiple people who will pay for that change, that's usually. You know, that, that's a good way to run. I will add to this. Users don't tell you the truth. <laughs> like, we don't do it anymore. Like, I, I remember we used to like, hey, if we did this, would you pay $19 a month? Oh, sure. Well, you didn't. <laughs> so, like, do, don't tell me you would because anybody would say, yeah, why not? Like, they're going to give you this kind of like, you know, concept of maybe. And that, that is just not the reliable proof. Um, <clears throat> even when we start, like, looking at... You know, what things need to be improved in the software? And people start like inventing ideas and they send you on rabbit trails. And there's a, a software called LogRocket um, that we installed and uh, where you basically can like replay someone's kind of interactions. And it's brutal because you just like watch people struggle, you know? And you didn't even realize that like, it's not obvious how to upload your logo, you know? And, you know, constantly seeing people fail because no one will actually tell you what they need. They're, they're not... They're actually not that cognizant of it. And so I think so many people like esteem user feedback and surveys and things. And I just now believe it's a colossal waste of time. Like get something out there, see if people like it. Um, and we do so many things now that people never ask us for that once we give it to them, they're like, where's this been all my life? Yeah, I think it's, it's our job as founders and product managers to like vision cast the future, not take surveys. Um, because no one ever asked for the iPhone until Steve Jobs told us name with the iPhone. You know, so... Um, you know, but user feedback's good for pain. Like, hey, this is complicated, or hey, I'm really struggling. That's when it's really good. But I don't, I don't, I'm just not a fan of like, tell us what to invent and we'll invent it because ultimately you'll spend all that money and they won't pay for it. So how did you navigate? Well, we validated by being in business for ten years. <laughs> you know, for one, just being in the market long enough and kind of related to the um, being kind of free venture capital is we changed our thesis so many times and we could just adjust. We changed our pricing a bunch of different times and just not being afraid to like change it. Like, all right, let's let's try this and see what happens. And so many times over and over again, we're like, we'll try something. It's not working. Let's try this. That's not working. And if, if you can stay in the game long enough 
and stick around, like eventually you'll find your really your your perfect fit. And unfortunately, it probably took us like six years probably to find like our absolute perfect fit and the right combination of pricing and value and messaging and, and the rest. So for us, it's just try something, ship it. See what happens with it for a few weeks. You know, adjust, build more. Uh, I'm just more of like get it out in the market and see what happens. I really admire that you guys were able to do this without taking out some money. Now, if you would take your money from someone else, wouldn't it make you grow faster? Instead of getting there in six years, wouldn't people still do the same too? Or would it, you know, was it like the, the minimum? Probably. I mean, if we'd had, I don't know though. It's it, it's hard to know. I think at stages, if we'd had money, we'd be able to grow faster. But if we'd had money in the beginning, we probably would have just failed harder. <laughs> so you learn, like you learn mistakes with less risk. Frankly, when you're bootstrapped. But it's a good question. But at the end of the day, I don't think we really care. To be honest, like we're just. We're having fun with this. We have an amazing team. It's profitable. Like we just love what we do. So if it was if it was ahead another step, and I had to have somebody look over my shoulder, like I just don't really care that much. If we had double the revenue, but but you know somebody who we had to answer to, you know, once a quarter, or somebody who controlled our destiny, it just it, I don't know that it matters that much to us. We looked at it too. Um... There was a, a period of time like we narrowly missed a cliff when we had kind of our main version that was kind of making the money, but we, we were getting CrossFit, we were getting these huge enterprises coming to us, and we knew that we needed to adapt the technology and really build it from the ground up. And we spent probably three and a half years, four years, and two million dollars to to rebuild it. And in that process, we're, you're getting paid from your legacy stuff. But you can't add anything to the legacy stuff because that just adds to your new roadmap for your new stuff. And so we decided we're going to take all of the resource and go on the new rocket ship. Uh, and the problem is this one started to decline and started to have some, some pretty steep churn. And so we were in this position where we're skipping paychecks and like we're just we're all in. We have to get this thing to market. And there's a period of time where we almost uh, thought about raising money. Um, and so we were, we were that close. And we've revisited the conversation a handful of times over the past number of years. But we've always come to... Well, what would we spend it on? You know, like, that's the hard thing. And when you take money, sometimes it's easier to spend it. It finds a way of being spent, if you will. So, um, you know, we've, we've really, like, you know, if, if we knew we, if we dumped $2 million here that you get $3.5 million on the other side, maybe we'd change our mind about it. But we just haven't, in our business, it's so hard. There's so many different dynamics that we just haven't seen that, like, that lever that, um, that you can just throw money at it. At least in our category. That's definitely not the case for every category, but for us. Yeah, and I think, too, that we also, we live in a time that is strange in, in human history that before people would build a business and they'd build it over a lifetime, right? And so we live in this time where I think the value is how fast can you, how fast can you, how fast can you. And, and I don't know that that's, I don't, I don't know that's necessarily good for us. You know, I think there's some value in, like, let's build something that's going to last a long time. And, um... And just the, the, I think we struggle with this early on too, that there's a lot of comparison, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, that you're always looking at everybody else and you're comparing yourself to this startup just raised this and this startup just got this XM, and this startup just, the, and like I think that when we just focus on what we're doing, that it just, it makes those things okay. And I would just encourage you guys, like who cares what everybody else is doing? 
Like, who cares who raised what money or had what exit? Like, just enjoy what you're doing because that's what matters. It doesn't matter what you're raising. It doesn't matter what your exit is. Like, it just just enjoy the journey because at the end of it, it's 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 really the journey that's the enjoyable part. The exit is, and it is what it is. But it's I just encourage you guys to not compare yourself to anybody else out there. Live your own thing and love it. Sure. Um, so I had an events business, and we had we did events all over the country, and did that for we did all kinds of things: concerts, we did card shows, we did ski and snowboard events, and boat shows, and so we did that for about eight or nine years, and then um, sold that. And before that, I started in college. I started a travel business, and that kind of turned into the event business. And then met Eric somewhere kind of in the middle of that journey. We started another business together. We both like motocross. We started a motocross sponsorship website. So I, I really like the sales side and the marketing side. And so when we started, we were kind of both kind of figuring out our lanes too. And it's, it's been great. I think that for he and I, that we still, it's 11 years and we're still friends. We still enjoy hanging out. We still enjoy working together. I think part of that, if you have a co-founder that... I mean, it's important to establish, we always kind of had this thing early on, that is this a hill you're going to die on? And if it's a hill he's going to die on, like, I'm not going to, that's a fight I'm not going to have. And so I think establishing that, if something's really important to him or really important to me, okay, just, you know, you can run that way. But also just kind of what, what lane are you going to run in, what lane am I going to run in? We agree on the big picture stuff, and then we just believe in each other, and I trust him, and he trusts me, and so we just, you know, run in those kind of lanes. But I was more on... The sales, marketing side. Eric was more on the, the development, the technology, product side for us. And for me, I was kind of run like a startup agency where you might come to me with an idea, and it's my job to get your idea to market in six weeks. So, branding and communication, maybe some web development. And when I was starting, it was like you know your company being on the web is like a newer thing. So we got involved in that, and always would like sell to my potential, like. Someone say, hey, can you do this? Like, of course. And like, how are we going to do this? You know, (laughs) you can't figure it out. Um, And uh, so was doing that. uh, And then all that dried up and the the market slowed down. So then I was there like feeling like I'm I'm good at kind of leading ideas. And I love ideas. I love seeing ideas come together. I love the whole life cycle from the naming to the the, the design side and the user experience side. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of my background. That's still large what I do today. I'm so glad I don't have to do other people's logos anymore because those things are tough. Yes. <laughs> do you have a question? Yes, I did. Um, you talked earlier about like people that didn't change their ways, like using paper. Were you ever able to change somebody's like way of doing things? I showed your products, or if you did or did not, like what was your value proposition there? I mean, like. It, it's funny because some customers, it, it'd be like if you're a doctor and you show them an x-ray and like you've got cancer and they're like, I agree to disagree, you know, like, no, like, no, it's, it's really broken, you know, they're like, no, it's not, you know, and you just, you just can't really do that. So we've never been in the, the business to persuading you that you have a problem. If you don't see that having people mail in something is a problem, like it's not our job to persuade you. So. Um, and that's why so much of our growth, we're, we have a great conversion rate, a great retention rate, because 
people who find us are really like they know uh, what we do and the value of it. We're not trying to persuade them to switch, and we do very little. I, I don't think we try and convince anybody, um, but you do want to point out problems. Like, hey, you're spending you know two hundred thousand extra dollars with these guys. Do you like money? You know, that can go a long ways. If not, you know, that's okay. And there's people who just say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, certain industries and categories, they're just, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it's just not, it's, it's not been our style to, to persuade you otherwise. So it's kind of like, good luck with that. Um, so I was going to ask, I think your culture that you have with looking at the job positions that you have posted is very different. Yeah, so, I mean, first, Eric and I are terrible managers. <laughs> so I think we can, like, we we both, I think we're both good leaders and we can lead the company, but we're terrible managers. So from the beginning, we really hired people who were self-starters and entrepreneurial and could kind of, here's, you know, what, what we really need, and they would take that and run. And as we've grown, we've, we've had, we have some amazing people on our team, but that's still, I think, our overarching philosophy is we want to bring people in who don't need to be managed. We want to bring people in who buy into the vision, who are exceptional, who are great human beings outside of work, and that they can just run. And, and we also give people a lot of freedom. We Internally, we, we tell our staff, it's okay to fail. We're okay to fail, but we're not okay to not take risks. So I think some of that's just been ingrained into our culture, but it, it started from just a place where we're both poor managers, and we needed people who can really run run alongside of us, you know, be able to be able to run with us. Does yeah. that answer your question? It's just that it's unique, I think, to this area because, you know, the old state jobs and everything is just kind of very rigid. So I was kind of amazed about the schedule that I saw. Yeah. I mean, we, we agonize over every hire. Um, and I can go into our, our process and our strategy there, but... You know, when you're competing with a billion-dollar company, it's got 4,000 people. I was watching one of our competitors do, like, a product demo, and they said they have 800 product managers. What do they do all day? <laughs> so we refer to our team as 10Xers. Like, every single member we add, like, we're, like they are the equivalent of 10 other people. And so, really, we're 42, 43 people, but really, I think we have the output of 400 people. And so it means that we are really strategic and really mindful. We turn down people who've got amazing resumes, great qualifications, and they're just like, but I meet all the qualifications. Like, but you're not the right person, you know? Um, so, and even now we let our staff um, do the hiring. So, because if I'm going to hire someone, it's not easy for me to say, hey, here's Jane and she's going to work with you. And like, no, you should have a vote in who you work with. So we've really gone from the inside out now to where... You know, we get the last you know round, and we get to throw a veto. But the candidates that get to us at that time are just so stellar that we're thrilled. But we look for three things: we look for a character because um, we empower people to the highest degree. You know, we like there's no managers, time clocks, things like that. Like you're going to make a dent in the company, you're going to make a dent in the market, you're going to you know really improve people's lives. But that means we have to empower you to a really high degree, and you have to be trustworthy with that power. So we look for character. Um, and even our interview questions, it takes about an hour to even apply for our company. We ask for things like, have you left things undone? Have you ever seen things that you know bothered you? Have you, uh, what was your relationship with other authority figures? And, and we try to like, ask, like, can you be trusted? Because if you're on our solutions team, I'll share this with someone earlier, and a customer's like, I want to talk to the manager. You know, 
we tell our solutions team, your, your reply is, you are talking to the manager. Because every single person should have the power at that moment to make the decision. And we're going to back you up. Now, if you do something crazy, we're going to be like, walk me through how you came to that conclusion. But, um, you know, we're going to, the light is green until it's red, is how our culture goes. So, but you need to have character. Um, next, competency, which is can you do the job? We think we can teach a lot of people the basics of our job. Programming side, there's like some more other um, details there, but you know, can you do the job? But first is can you be entrusted being empowered? Uh, so character, competency, and then chemistry or culture, if you will, that who you work with really influences your work and um, who you, around you and the environment. And so we hire now to culture first. So we'll look at someone who might have a stellar resume, um, but if they're not a cultural fit, we're going to pass on them. And we would much rather have someone that's a cultural fit that they can grow into the competency that they need for the, for the role. But um, I think we've, out of 40, you know, in total 47, 48 people ever, I think we've lost three people um, from not that they were on their way to law enforcement or some other career. Um, we've had almost zero turnover for the large part of The, uh, half of our dev team is remote, so all of our solutions team, or largely of our solutions team, is here in Sacramento. Um, and we actually just bought a building in Old Sacramento, and our goal is to have the most irresponsible office in all of Sac. Like Sac needs like a really awesome office. So um, there's like a slide that goes from the top floor to the main floor. There's like secret compartments. There's all sorts of shenanigans coming on. Um, but we're like working on like the most irresponsible office that we can flash it for here from Sac. Um, teasing, but kind of serious. But uh, so all of our solutions team, except for one, is here in Sacramento. And then uh, dev talent. This is the nature of dev talent. You know, your, your best front-end person is going to be maybe in Reading, or your amazing you know, back-end programmer is going to be in, in Minnesota, and we have Kentucky and Texas. So I think we've got 15, 14, 15 people outside, but lion shares here. Yeah, just piggybacking on that, so Bootstrap Company, sounds like 100% ownership each. Like, how do you guys think about employee options? I think people want to do meaningful work. And they want to do, when we say this is going to be the best work of your life with the best people of your life, would you take a season for us? We never try to outbid money because if I have Louie with, with money, like it just takes someone with a dollar more to, to attract you. So it has to be something more than that. So um, I think some of our company perks, like taking the whole entire you know, staff, all their families and their kids, like this summer to Belize, it's like 100 people <laughs> out of country. <laughs> And so, and they're just like, they're blown away by the care for them as people, um, also to the environment that um, they can be empowered to make decisions. They all have influence, everyone's got influence. So that is really luring. Uh, we don't do stock options, so we do profit sharing. And the reason we do profit sharing is that it allows people to get an immediate benefit every single year. Um, we're the, probably the only tech company around that has profit, has a problem with like, actually paying income tax. Uh, so, but profit sharing, like, it is great. We, every single December, we sit there and we lavish praise and aff affirmations on the team. And we're like, and here's your profit sharing check. And they're just, they appreciate it. And that, that means every single win, every single year, it's like, I can anticipate the immediate win because not too long, that might actually benefit me. Uh, versus options and stock, like, it kind of requires an exit. And 
we don't want to be forced into that. Um, and I don't know if, if so many people appreciate that as well. Um, but for us, you know, we, we pay competitively, but we don't. We don't. That's not our, our main thing. There's so many other things. But profit sharing, it's, it's a really fun thing to write people some big checks. So we've probably got another 10 minutes. Who's not asked a question that's just dying to and been too shy to ask? Um, all right, so I want to ask them all that. So you, that answer reminds me a lot of, of Aaron Fly from Chris Fly. I don't know if you know him. Derek uh, Auburn, someone also. So I'm wondering how important it has been commingling uh, with other startup founders who share your values or in your position. What is, what is that mentor? Yeah, I, I, mean, I would say just on a personal level, for me, it's really life-giving. I think, too, that we all, we're all in our own world every day, and you're in the forest, and when you talk with other founders and other people working on their things, that it's just, it, it's... It's fun to see what other people are thinking, and I think that it's also you, you also get incredible insights from them, and vice versa. So for me, I, I love it. I love meeting with other with other founders. I love hearing about. I love ideas as an entrepreneur at, at heart. It's everything about it is great, and I think you also get insight for different markets and, and what's available. And so I mean, I think everything about it is 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 amazing. Any other questions? So, so let's see up here. Uh, yeah. We're getting to the repeats now. So, <laughs> so the question is, it sounds like you guys are doing great. Uh, you're profitable, you've got steady products, and it, and it doesn't seem like you want outside funding. But have you thought about you know what would you do with outside funding if you wanted to get to whatever the next level is or is? Or are you just kind of happy where you're at? Yeah, I think we've, we've, so we've, we've talked about it. We probably talk about it every couple of years. But we're really happy where we are. And, that, and there's enough cash to support whatever we want to put it into. So it's not, we're not in a place where if we had more cash, so we feel like there's a specific lever we can pull. When we get to that place where we feel like, okay, if we had this cash, we could pull this lever, then I think we would consider it again. But right now, we feel like the, just the cash flow can fund everything that we want to do. See, if you're a profitable business, you have other options to give away everything. Uh, that's right. a new question. Yeah. How do you get your first five customers? I'm not here about premium. Begging. Begging. It was only people we knew. And it was people that said, all right, I'll, I'll take a chance on this. The, for, for those first early customers were a lot of them that we knew from the events world or the first, actually the first ones were, were customers that Eric had from his uh, web consulting business so th those were our first online giving plot customers some people from the event space that I knew, but those first ones were definitely personal, personal people that we, I think we probably gave it to them for free for those early customers just to come in and take a chance Totally. Almost. Yeah. The thing of those, like, we ship ugly products. <laughs> you know, I think the, you guys have probably all heard the quote from Reid Hoffman, that if you are not embarrassed by your product when you ship it, you waited too long. Uh, I mean, it's really for us, like, we, we dreamed of the day we'd have drag and drop, you know, so you, you build your page, you have all these different fields, 
if you want this field to be up there, you know, a little up area, you click it and the page would refresh and go up one. And if you got like, you know, 20 items to go, you've got like this 10 minute chore, you know. And we didn't build our own billing system. You know, I'm sure we were committing federal and local crimes by how we bill people. Um, yeah, and you just made trade offs. Because I think both of us just felt like, let's just get out there. Like, we've yeah. got to get in the market and see what that is because we couldn't even bill our customers for probably two years. So once a month, <laughs> I would sit and I'd pull all this data down, I'd go into our virtual terminal and I'd invoice them. And it was the greatest day of the month because you had to see exactly what was happening and how you're growing, but it was like we just couldn't, we were like, we can't take away from what we're building here to build a system to invoice. And that probably went on for several years, but it was just that that just desire to get out there and, and, and bring customers in versus making things easier. Two more questions. Oh my god, you know what so, say Eventbrite came to you and offered to buy you out, what would you say? They're too mad at us. They would. Uh, I don't think. <laughs> I think if they came to us, it'd be for a punch in the face, not for not with a check. A, any competitor, would you sell, or do you love it too much? At this, I mean, I don't. I, I doubt it. Like we, um, we're loving what we do. It would have to be something that was an amazing deal for our customers for our staff, like it's just not what we're looking to do. And we, anything that wasn't, that didn't take our customers and our staff, everybody working to a better place, then we wouldn't, we just wouldn't do those deals. But for us, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, it, it would be too hard, it'd be too hard personally, I think, to, to part with what we have, because it's just so much fun. And we work with such great people, we feel like they're so, the, we feel like right now the wind is completely at our back. We've got a great product, we've got a great team, we've got a really growing customer base, growth is accelerating, but it's manageable. So for us it feels like this is this is our moment and I can't imagine we would sell it. I'll let you guys what do you guys choose the last question? Last question. Alright, thank you. Um, I kinda know the answer in the back of my mind, but I want to hear this from you guys. So bootstrapping, uh, Poor managers, your work, not mine. Uh, you know, you don't listen to the market. You, you know, you kind of just come up with these features, throw out, and what happens. And all these things. Just, me sitting here listening to the story is too good to be true. I want to. I want to know the struggles. Money laundering. That's what we did. I'm just <laughs> and if there's no struggles other than the pair of you know Under Armour thirty dollars shoes, what contribute <laughs> to the, the you know the, the success too? So I would say one, we deeply listen to the market. I think we, and I think that's something that we do better than our competitors because we're in it every day, and we are on the phone with customers, we're on the phone with potential customers. So, and that's one advantage that we have is that we've stayed really close to the market. That we talk to customers, Eric and I do as founders every day, and I think that that's something that is really important to be able to, to do that. But we've definitely had our our our, our difficult moments, um, and it hasn't been it hasn't been easy. Those first few years were, were rough when we were trying to figure out our product mix and the customers and they were saying can you do this and we said no there's just I mean there's some pain in that but I think it was just we knew that we, we knew where it could go and we just and we just stayed the course and we knew there was enough customers who were happy that offset some of those who were grumpy and um, you know we were in a fortunate place to make the bootstrapping effort work and realize that that's not the case for everybody but I I really if you can pull it off it's, it's just been a huge value for us, and I would be, I think we'd be amiss if we didn't tell people that. But there's some businesses and types and that you just can't 
we can't pull that off, and that's okay too. But it wasn't easy. It definitely wasn't easy. But I remember we, like Eric said, we first started our market. We really thought we were going to be a software for churches, and we could do event registration, online giving. We had a couple white label platforms, and I mean, it was probably two weeks in. I called him, and I was like, "Dude, I can't do this for my foreseeable future. It's just too painful." Like having these people tell me no, and and so we he said okay, and we, and we switched gears. But you know, there's moments like that where it felt like a failure, you know, for sure, because we weren't getting any we weren't getting any momentum. But you just keep you just keep looking under rocks. Well, this is our eleventh year too. You know, yeah. like that's a. I mean, you can be on your fifth startup by the eleventh year. You know. So, and to John's point, it was really, really hard. And there was points, I'd probably say 2015 or so, we had that legacy version, we're on the new version, and then we had this really well-funded new competitor that comes in, and they just like looked at our client list and just started calling all of our clients. And what they did is they offered to pay them in the form of a sponsorship to switch over. And so we just felt like someone came in and was just offering blank checks to all of our customers. In the time where we needed like every penny to help fund this new thing and so we were we just felt stuck like we didn't we was like it's not fair and these guys are shenanigans we had other competitors that were we knew were cooking the books and they were doing marketing and, and really shenanigans with their pricing and and so we just look at it it's like this is not fair and feeling like you didn't have the power to do much about it um so we've we've definitely had some really hard really hard times um yeah, so it, but it's a long time too. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, most people, what you take as, you know, adversity in your first 12 months, like we've had a lot of those things, but it's just been over the, the decade, you know, to kind of smooth out. And remember when we stressed out about that one thing? Yeah, you know, we were really, you know, tweaked out about that. But, yeah. you know, at this point, now, it seems thing. good. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, we had a software bug happen one night. Oh. At the time change, and something triggered, and it literally, how many millions? A million dollars in accidental donations. Yeah, so it just triggered all these donations. So we've had, we've, I mean, we've had our share of all of those kind of things too. But it's been, yeah, it's been a fun journey. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, like those things like happen. You're like, at least we have software that can break, you know. And like, I always remember telling my, you know, our team, like. These are good problems. Like if something breaks at scale, I mean, so you've got scale. Like this is be better to break for a million people than zero people, right? So, uh, and I try to keep it positive and just like you know, so much of I think the entrepreneurial side of us is like we put our our identity in what we do. But if your identity is in what you do and your your thing fails, then your identity fails. And so I think for us, like really working on like it's a fun era of life, and we're gonna have as much fun. And if it all goes to crap, like we can still flip burgers somewhere, I'm sure. But um, you know, just trying to like separate our value from this is fun, but it doesn't make us who, who we are. 